and welcome to Startups, Sparks and Serendipity, your favorite podcast by two people hosted that start with a with an M in the name by Mike, myself and Max, my good buddy who's here with me. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. Uh, can't complain. It's uh, I'm, I'm great. Can't, uh, lots of projects going on, lots of uh, tasks, but it's fun. I love the remote That's... work focus time still. Nice. That's great to hear. So as a quick reminder, this is Mike and Max talking about ideas that inspire us, about things that we've read that we just can't stop thinking about, and about startups, because we love startups. And then we also have an additional focus on self-improvement, mental models, and everything else that's cool that helps you to grow as a person or for your career. Was that a good description? Excellent. Maybe one thing to add is that we also focus uh, in the future, pro potentially also to look into different themes, industry, in, uh, industry mm. and also startups and kind of analyze why they're working good or bad or um, what's happening in the market. And, and, and we just love chatting about it. True. Yeah. Thanks for all the feedback that we've got for the first couple of episodes. That was very helpful. It was good. We definitely listen to what you say and we try to incorporate some of the things. So we've already started to do some notes, talk about like what we want to change and where we want to go in the future. But yeah, maybe you notice it in the future episodes. We have recorded a couple and are excited to continue this. So Max, what do you want to talk about today? I mean, we have we have a couple of things that we would love to cover. Um, and for this, some of you that maybe joined just now for this episode, um, in the previous episode, we talked about the Y Combinator um, written application process because um, mm. right at this moment we have April 2020 there are a lot of people uh, that would love to be part of YC's new batch and uh, Mike uh, fortunately has has been part of it and of course, course can can give amazing tips and recommendations on how to potentially be part of this batch and actually why YC could be a good next step for your startup and therefore I think it might be a good strategy to talk about the next step of the YC application process to mm. go a little bit deeper into the interviews um, and and, and potential next steps after the interviews. Um, mm. And I think that would be a good topic. Besides that, we, we might potentially cover a couple of communities that we have we have observed and that we are part of and kind of give a feeling of, of how they have learned or how they gave us kind of an edge in the market, an edge in, in startups. So that's from my side. Maybe anything to add from, from your side? Of course, we're going to be spontaneously as always. But No, no, actually, YC, YC interview would be great timing since I'm doing so many mock interviews for the, for the YC interview, because the first <laughs> interviews, I think, like, I think the first interviews of the real, uh, they always do some interviews before, but like only very few, but the first interviews of the real, like timing and timing window of like, like two or three weeks starts this Monday, like in two days. And yeah, so I've, I've been doing mock interviews for the last batch already. I was in the summer batch 2019. So the last one was winter 2020. And now we are at summer 2020. And this batch is special because it's the first batch that will be fully remote mm. because of the COVID-19 situation. So it will be a bit different. The application process is largely still the same. I will ask you, I assume the same questions or the same set, like set of typical questions that they usually ask you in an in-person interview. So I think, uh, why don't we focus on the content of the interview yeah. uh, a bit more than on the actual structure, how it usually works, because we don't really know how long the situation will continue and uh, how it will change in the future. But I, I think they have had a huge success with the way they interview. 
and I, I've actually scheduled like 42 mock interviews for uh, like this batch already. Uh, <laughs> I've done I've done 12 in the last two days. So my schedule is actually more packed than it usually is. And uh, let, let me like tell you why that is. Like obviously, I have a couple of friends uh, that I help that uh, know me and that know that uh, I can be a resource. And then I have some people from my ex extended network that reach out to me. But I did the not mistake, but uh, I didn't like I did a tweet uh, about hey. Uh, like YC interviews have started, like, do you want to do a mock interview? And my tweet, it didn't go viral, but it went like semi-viral within the like community of people that it's relevant for. And I put a Calendly link in there and at first didn't have like too much protection on my time. And I, like within within like half an hour that I was in a call, I had 27 like, calls scheduled. So my full Sunday will be one mock interview after another, after another. And I thought that it might be helpful to just talk about a couple of the general tips that I give. I think that makes sense, right? 100%. Uh, because I think, obviously, there's no internal information here, like nothing that gives you an edge in terms of like what partners tell you or something. It's just what I've learned, what other alumni actually told me and my co-founders to prepare and what really helped us to, I think, uh, actually get in. Does that make Absolutely. sense? A hundred percent. And, and I, I think it, it's, it, it's a perfect opportunity to kind of use your expertise and, and your ex experience now also from, from talking to different people. And of course, we're going to have mm. episodes where Mike is going to be an expert and then vice versa. And we're going to have different topics where, of course, not both of us um, have the same expertise. And we thought it might be most beneficial and most valuable to touch upon this topic now because so many people are actually struggling to find the right answers um, mm. to the right questions. And maybe you can just help and guide and inform people about it. So also maybe my first question would be, how do you, and that's super macro, but how do you generally prepare for such an interview? How did you prepare mm. mentally, um, content-wise? Yeah, so I think the very first point is you should actually prepare. There is two schools of thought in terms of preparing for the YC interview. One school says you don't need to prepare if you know your business. And the other school says you have to prepare. And I'm definitely very strongly part of the second group because I think that the way C interview is different from all the other interviews that you could possibly have. I think there are people that overdo it and that don't really like focus on the business too much and only focus on the interview. But I think some preparation is definitely really helpful just because the YC interview, it's 10 minutes of rapid fire questions about your startups, uh, startup, about the competition, about you, about your numbers, about everything that's close to what you're actually building and has anything to do with it. So there's a lot of questions that can potentially be asked, but there's also a couple of questions that you will always be asked. And the, the first one is usually something like, what are you working on? where you just say your one-liner, we talked about that the last time, mm. your short description of your, your company, what it's actually doing. And then this is usually the point where the interview starts and where they try to dig in at uh, specific things they want to know more about. And I think that practicing with your co-founders and then also practicing with like a couple of people that have been part of YC is something that's very helpful. And there are a lot of very nice people that helped us with the interview. And I'm still so thankful for them offering the time, which is also why I'm offering the time now to basically the next generation. Love it. I mean, um, my appreciation for it. And of course, I'm, I wasn't tested yet by you, but I think uh, <laughs> everybody that did appreciates it fully. Um, how, from a content perspective, how can you like, 
I mean, you probably have different themes that the partners mm. will cover. Um, what are the high level themes that you should definitely know more about than you usually do maybe potentially mm. for those 10 minute rapid fire questions? Yeah, I think the, the cool thing about the YC interview is that even if you don't get in, or about the whole application process, even if you don't get in, it really helps you to think clearly about your startup because it asks you, it forces you to ask like yourself and your co-founders a lot of questions mm. that you might otherwise just overlook because startups in the early days, you know, it, it's a lot of operations, it's just daily struggle, somehow making progress. And just zooming out and really understanding the problem space that you're working on from a different lens is very helpful. And I give you a couple of examples. I mean, usually you know your numbers fairly well, right? Uh, if you are a, a co-founder that is uh, like really focused on making something grow, then you need to look at your numbers. But uh, often what I notice is that many people don't know like their numbers when you dig a bit deeper. So they know like the top level revenue number maybe, but they don't know like which percentage is actually coming from which user group, which percentage yeah. is like actually due to increased price versus increased volume. Like that's just a couple of examples. Yeah. Um, but it forces you to dig a bit deeper in your own internal operations, but also zoom out and look at a couple of macro questions. Mm -hmm. And to answer your question a bit more directly in terms of different categories, I think there are just a couple of higher level things that are always important. Your team, right? Why are you the right team to build this? How are you trying to make good decisions? Who is taking the decisions for, for what area? Mm -hmm. And then also, why did you come together? And why should we believe you that you will actually stick together? Uh, so these are the couple of team questions. Then you have everything that's related to like YC and like why you actually want to do YC. That's just something you should be prepared for. They usually, in my experience, and also like from talking to other people, not really ask that too much. But it's definitely a question, if they ask you, you should have a good answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially now for the remote batch, I think, because uh, it's, it's just a bit different. And then there are more like company-specific things as well. Like, um, let's assume you're building uh, a B2B marketplace that matches suppliers and purchases. Mm -hmm. then you should have a very good understanding of the supply side, of the like purchasing side. And uh, like tech is very often something that's important as well. So from, okay, maybe, maybe from a yeah, one question to the numbers, because you've mentioned the numbers earlier, and I think that's very, very relevant. Um, mm. And of course, from a, from a sales perspective, you need to know top line revenue, bottom line revenue, uh, bottom line numbers. Mm. What about product KPIs and stuff? How deep do, uh, is your experience from product KPI perspectives? Do they actually go into different fields of product KPIs, onboarding mm -hmm. revenue, uh, onboarding uh, activation things? Or Yeah, uh, definitely. Like it's possible. Like I said, every interview is a bit different. You never know how it goes, but it's definitely sure. possible. You should know all your numbers. But uh, to really answer your question, I think I was like kind of touching on it, but let's, let's look high level. Firstly, you need to know your numbers. Then you need to know the market size. That's very important. Like how big is the market? Who are the competitors? Is everything related to the actual market? Then you need to know about user acquisition, go-to-market strategy. That's super important. How will you actually get users? And how will you actually scale getting users? That's very important. Then founder market fit. I talked about that. Why are you choosing this idea? Why do you want mm -hmm. to work on this? Uh, then how do you actually make money? So everything related to monetization is important. Have you really thought through this? Depends a bit on the stage, but that's a topic that's important. And there are a couple of like <laughs> miscellaneous questions they sometimes like to ask. Like <laughs> uh, one, one of my favorite examples is if you think into the future, 
uh, like let's say five years, what's the most probable reason for why you failed? Or another one is, um, what's the rocket science here? So they just have some like of these random questions. You can find them on the internet <laughs> that just sometimes get asked. And then one really, really important thing is also your value proposition. Like who needs what you're making? Uh, what you're making? What is really new about it? What are the top things your users want? They want to see that you actually talk to your users, that you actually know the problem and they actually know what people actually want that you're dealing with. Mm. Makes sense. Uh, I, I love that. And I think especially value prep and go to market are quite connected to each other, of course. Mm. Um, from, I mean, you've just touched that there are different, different bigger categories. When thinking about the team, which is, of course, one, one thing where also from what I've seen from YC, they focus a lot on the teams and the teams need to fit to the project and to the topic. Mm. How, how, would you, how did you approach that and how do you kind of um, mock up the interviews around the, the team? What, what should teams focus on when talking about their team and their co-founder relationship? What shouldn't they focus on in those interview sessions? Yeah, I think there are a couple of red flags just that, that make you appear less of a good team. Uh, one is very unequal equity splits. And that's the thing that you can't necessarily change quickly, but usually I see like if you, if you're a real co-founder, they want you to have the same share of equity. That's that's one of the things that's very obvious. Then another thing that's more non-verbal. So they actually, I assume, I like I, I've never heard a confirmation for that, but I assume that when they do the interviews, they also look at how you interact with each other. Like is someone rolling? Like to use an extreme example, is someone rolling their eyes when the other co-founder is answering a question, or are they interrupting? each other like do they have alignment in terms of how they think about the vision because like the really bad interviews is usually when uh, one co-founder is saying something and the other one says no that's not right <laughs> or um, just <laughs> right so that's that's a bad kind of, of vibe you can give off uh, and then the positive thing is i think if you notice that these co-founders actually have some kind of bond and then also complementary skill sets are fairly helpful. Mm. They definitely want you to have some technical knowledge. They want someone who can actually build the product. And that's different for different kinds of products, but they want that. Usually, there's always exceptions. And like I said, nothing what I say here is official YC policy. It's just the opinion of an alumni informed by the opinion of uh, many, many other alumni that I've talked to. Mm. But uh, yeah, to, to come back to that, I think complementary teams, very helpful. You want someone who can sell to some degree and someone who can actually build. I think if you combine that, that makes a lot of sense. And then they want to see that you will actually or have a, some kind of hint that you will actually stick together. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually like sibling founder teams, which is one of my favorite topics. Uh, that's a good sign, right? Because like usually you like won't quit like from your brother. I mean, maybe it will, but... <laughs> I mean, it has different consequences. Different. Yeah, the, the, chance, the chance of you yeah. doing it is definitely higher when you found the company with someone you haven't really spent a lot of time with before or mm. worked with for a longer time before. So they just also look a bit at what's your bond, how have you met each other, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe focusing yes a bit because I think there are a couple of misconceptions as well. No. Uh, about the interview. Um, so like I said, it's it's not like a typical interview. Most people who really know the process know it, but it's really 10 minutes of rapid fire question. Uh, I don't know how many questions they ask on average, but usually it's just question one, what are you working on? Then you answer the question and then, okay, who's using it? And then how much money will you make? Or how are you making money? How much money mm -hmm. will you make? But then they dig in and say, it doesn't really make sense. Explain that. And they just <laughs> go from like question to question to question. And it, to be like, to be completely honest, during our interview, we went in there and then it started 
And then they said, well, the 10 minutes are over. And I, it didn't feel like a minute, <laughs> maybe like 40 seconds. Crazy. It's, it's crazy. The, the like amount of pressure in such amount of t a short amount of time. And I have um, a question to that. Thing actually, that like, really, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Cause I think I'm just curious and, and there might be potential listeners being curious as mm -hmm. well in that yeah. situation. I mean, it's, it's all, it, of course it's about the content part. You need to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You need to know your numbers. You need to know yeah. Yeah. and you need to be aligned on the team side. Nevertheless, of course, every human is human. And in those situations you have different mm -hmm. pressure volumes than you maybe have when, when eating a cake with your grandma. I think um, <laughs> it's a Depends different your grandma. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the perspective. But I, yeah. um, <laughs> but how did how did you kind of prepare for the situation? Did you have did you guys kind of ramble together and find a a synergy of kind of being ready for the ten minutes, mm. or did you was there like a method that helped you kind of being calm in the situation? Yeah. First of all, I was really nervous the day of the interview, like really, really, really nervous. Like it was probably one of the most nervous I've. Is it even a term? Like probably one of the like biggest nervous feeling I've ever had. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, I'm really good in pressure situations. And I think I learned that from sports, actually. Mm. It's similar, actually, in business. So once the interview started, I was in the zone. And I think there are different people who need to prepare differently for these kinds of pressure situations. So I think like, so each team member needs to have their own strategy of coping with the stress. And uh, like we had our own strategies, um, which makes sense, right? But it's also about supporting each other in this kind of environment. So we, it, it was a very good help that all of us were just really good friends and we support each other like going into it. And we knew that the, the result wouldn't really, no, no matter who said what, the result wouldn't affect like our working together afterwards. But yeah. uh, two other things are super important, I think. And the one thing is, if you're prepared well, then I think you can go in with a better feeling. So I think, I think actually practice helps with you being mentally better prepared as well. Mm. And then secondly, what really helped us as well is we, we like to prepare like well for pressure situations if we know that they are coming up and I, I can tell you a great story about the actual yc demo day at some point but what we what we did is we simulated the yc interviews like in a really like extreme environment with the three of us so two of us were the interviewers one was interviewed in their uh, area of expertise where where the person would answer the question and then we would do stuff like throw like pencils at the person or <laughs> would have music would have music on in the room or would just like kick him <laughs> lightly <laughs> so just to like have the like we wanted to basically simulate the worst possible situation and uh, still be able to answer the questions and i think that also helped uh, to some degree it was also fun <laughs> but i think it also helped us to prepare but that's that's also something that probably most teams don't do but it's it's a very uh, peculiar thing that, that we like to do I mean, uh, we we now need to make this episode uh, explicit because uh, Mike pro uh, like proposes to 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 be violent in times of towards your co-founders, yes, in times of high pressure situations. <laughs> which I, yeah, that's which why I said great. kicking lightly, like we didn't hurt each other. <laughs> it was just to to be some nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I think I, I totally see that. And I, especially in times of preparation, this can be uh, a great benefit. And I would love to understand one more thing. Mm -hmm. uh, did you actually write down like 
the potential questions and give like written answers to it to be very, very well prepared? Or do you, did you still use a spontaneous kind of situation to answer specific questions? No, not at all. We were definitely overprepared. We had like a master Google sheet with, I don't know, like all the questions that we could find and then additional questions that we thought could be relevant in our specific industry. And we had answers prepared for these questions that we roughly try to recite word by word, not like word by word, 100%, but um, we wanted to have a couple of key points in there. And then we actually practiced it uh, a couple of times to, to actually make sure that we could uh, like recite, not recite the answer, that's a better, but that we could actually bring the gist of it through with our answer in the actual interview. And that was super helpful. And what we also did is, I think I insinuated before, like we had different categories and then we had specific people that were, in charge of these categories. So David, for example, was in charge of the team category. He was mm -hmm. also in charge, in our case, we deal with students. So he was in charge of the student category. And then I was in charge of uh, like CEO related questions. And then also like finance, because we also have the investor side beyond the equity side that we deal with. So I was in charge of that. And then Costa, our CTO, was in charge of all the technical questions, for example. And Did he also cover product? Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, to, to some degree, it depends because product in our case can be framed in, in a couple of different ways, but he, he covered most of the product questions and then some product questions were fairly related to like investors, for example, then I would do it and others, if it's about students and David would do it. Got it. But yeah, having categories and having defined, let's say, like category leaders or like uh, whatever you want to call it was extremely helpful because it removes cognitive effort from you in the interview. You don't need to think about whether or not you want to answer that question. It's clear who answers the question. And then we also had the rule that I would be the person who takes all the questions that we haven't prepared for. And obviously, you can't prepare for every questions. Uh, question. There's so many different ones. So if it was outside of our like categories, uh, I would be the default person. And if I thought that someone else could be give a better answer, I would just say, hey, David, I think that's something you, you could comment about. Got it. Makes sense. I, I think that's very, very good feedback. Um, what were kind of like top three things where you think they sh you shouldn't do them in the interview or you shouldn't say them or you shouldn't kind mm -hmm. of give an insight into them? Top mm -hmm. three. Uh, let's, let's see. So things, uh, one thing you should avoid is just interrupting each other. That's why having clear like categories is so helpful mm. because you just know who who answers which question and you don't have that problem because it's a bit awkward if you do that. If, if both people start talking and just creates a like weird atmosphere, yep. uh, that can happen. So don't worry about it too much if it happens in your interview, but uh, like th that's part one. Then part two, I think is pay attention to your nonverbal cues uh, because I, I don't know because I've only been in my own interview, but I've heard from some, some of my friends that, Uh, they like had some like really like weird things happen in terms of nonverbal interviews. So sometimes, especially if you don't speak, your verbal cue and uh, nonverbal cues are also important. So don't look super bored when your co-founder is talking <laughs> or um, like uh, actually like try to smile, like not, not forced, but just be a bit positive about it. Show some energy, support your co-founders by either looking at them or like nodding your head, just some kind of like basic <laughs> non-verbal communication is very helpful. Mm. And uh, so, so don't forget that. And then lastly, in terms of things not to do, don't be cocky. I think uh, like I see people hate it if mm. someone's arrogant. 
So I, I don't think that many people do it, but if someone does it, it's always uh, always a bad sign. Because you're sitting in front of people who have done it before, probably who have probably built more successful companies or at least know more about startups than you. And I feel like I, I think summarizing also what you have just said, I think are two things. I feel it's a lot about risk reduction, uh, risk mitigation. Uh, you can actually mitigate a lot of risk by preparing quite well, preparing the mm -hmm. potential questions, preparing the answers, kind of looking who's the right person to answer. Um, And of course, it's also, and I think that's the other part, and also not um, me, who's, who's not been part of that process, uh, I think it's about the learning experience, right? I mean, you're sitting mm. in front of very experienced people who have, who have seen a lot, who could also potentially help you and, and, and give you maybe different um, sorts of directions by just asking certain questions. And even though you will not be part of the batch, you probably have learned a lot about how they kind of phrase their questions and what they are interested in um, to, to move your business forward potentially. And I think the learning experience as a whole should give enough energy in order to to succeed whether you actually become of the batch or whether you actually um, get accepted or not yes i agree and that's why i say all the time and also mentioned it before in our conversation that the application process itself is extremely extremely helpful for you to get a better understanding of how your business actually works because mm -hmm. sometimes it's just like like i said there's just so much operational struggle you just want to survive every single day and yc gives you an excuse a good excuse to actually start thinking about a couple of different angles yep. maybe one more comment on the actual interview one thing that's extremely important that many people forget a bit or don't think is a problem is they really need to understand what you're actually doing Because if you don't understand what you're actually doing, then the mock interview, sorry, the interview won't be a good interview because they can't ask the right questions. And why I know that is that in my own mock interviews, like when I don't understand what the actual thing is that they're trying to solve or the things that they're trying to build, I just don't know where to dig. So the questions become fairly generalized, which is not what you want to have in the interview you want to explain what you're doing as soon as possible so that they know okay wait it's b2c e-commerce optimization through ai uh, what does it actually mean okay we are building uh, ai algorithms that help e-commerce uh, shops to recommend better products to their customers okay now you like roughly understand what we're doing and now i hope to i hope so Do you, did you understand what that uh, what's going on here i did Okay, that was just a random example I just made up. So basically, um, once they know, okay, they are actually like doing machine learning stuff uh, to, to help uh, e-commerce shops give better recommendations to their customers, then they know what kind of questions to ask. Mm. But if they don't really understand, they have a couple of lists of risks in their head probably. It's okay, um, can you actually write these algorithms? What qualifies you to be a machine learning expert would be one. Or the other question could be, um, okay, what are, the, what are your customers saying? Like, what do these e-commerce shops actually say about your product? And how is your go-to-market strategy? How do you actually sell it to these people? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they have a couple of things in their head that they want to get off the list. And every single early-stage startup is risky. But they, they can, the only thing that they can do is remove the risks that are obvious to them in the interview. That's basically, I think, I think that's how they think about it. That's their goal. And... Absolutely. Yeah, that you can only do that by actually giving them a very clear understanding of what you're doing very early on in the interview. Absolutely. Um, and I would add one more thing that 
that would help maybe if you don't have people that you can practice it with who would be part of kind of like of the YC alumni community, maybe just go into the steps of the partners. Just maybe find a friend who's working on a startup and ask the person questions about the things that really sparks your interest. Because as I think the more you become part of the interviewer, you also understand better what, what you would like to be interested in when listening to a startup idea. And you can kind of reflect that and display that on the other side, of course, as well, because you have been in the same situation as the partners are when sitting there. And it's mm. about the curiosity and the interest in the startup. And you potentially can learn a lot also by just being in the foot of the interviewer, um, maybe talking to some friends who are building startups or whatever. Yeah, on the one end, I totally agree. On the other end, I think if you are a potential YC founder that can't reach any YC alumni to do a mock interview with them, then something has to be wrong. And <laughs> to offer to all to all the listeners on here, like if you listen to this and reference uh, the podcast, like I'll definitely do a mock interview with them and I force uh, with you and I'll force two other people to do it as well. So <laughs> if you're interested, <laughs> let me know and we'll we'll make it happen. Perfect. Um... This was great. I think we covered a lot. Um, I'm not sure if you if you still have anything to add, Mike. Otherwise, I think we've covered. Yeah, I could probably like continue talking about this for an hour. But I think one <laughs> thing I would like to add is that um, one thing that really helped us is uh, be aware of the actual strength of your company and have a couple of things that you just want to mention in the interview. So <laughs> one example, I, I think an example is is fairly good here. I had a mock interview with the company. I won't name names or like do any kind of signaling of what they're doing. But basically, we were eight minutes in the interview. And then they told me, yeah, well, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, um, we just closed uh, two enterprise customers and uh, they give us a guaranteed revenue of $300,000 in the next year. I was like, what the fuck? You could have mentioned that before. I literally asked you, what's your traction? So... Mm. Yeah, so if you're aware, and sorry for the swear words, but I like to do that from time to time. So if you actually, if you actually like think about it, then your traction in this specific instance is probably one of the most important things. And then one other interview, I'll change the industry to um, not identify anyone. But basically, David had a mock interview um, a couple of days ago. And uh, let's assume, just for the sake of this example, that they were building uh, rockets and uh, like new new technology to build rockets more efficiently mm -hmm. and then at some point they in the interview they asked him well i worked at nasa do you think i should mention that at some point <laughs> so it's just that, that these were very obvious examples right if they are, if you have very specific strength then just identify them and make sure that you mention them and being a rocket scientist that worked at nasa is probably a good thing to mention if you want to build a company that builds rockets so yeah Absolutely. that's my, my closing thought on this Great. No, I think giving context always makes sense in those kind of situations. Whenever you talk to people, I think giving a little bit of context always helps to kind of um, underline your significance and your expertise. Uh, so there's a great, like a general thing, of course, maybe people uh, could learn. Um, great. I love that. How about we jump to, um, to a book recommendation? Uh, would you be ready or should we cover one more thing about the YC application? No, I'm, I'm always ready for book recommendations. Love it. Um, I have one in my mind which mm -hmm. I, funny enough, didn't mention in the first three to four episodes, which is quite surprising. And I just came across it this morning again when kind of looking for different ideas about decision-making, about kind of meeting schedules and stuff. And it's The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Um, I'm a big mm. a big fan of him, of course, as a, as a management guru. I think he has kind of led how a lot of people think about different uh, ideas in management, but also in kind of um, execution, effective execution. 
Uh, and I can definitely recommend the book, uh, I think, because of very, two, uh, two thoughts. I think one thing is he has a very interesting process about decision making that I would love to touch upon maybe in future episodes where we kind of go into the different theories and steps about uh, how you can actually be a very good decision maker. maker. Uh, and the other thing that I really liked about this book is about in order to change your behavior on, on how you set up your time throughout the week, you at first need to track how you spend your time. And a lot of people feel that tracking is some sort of burden that you need to kind of track your numbers every evening to see what you have done the, the previous day. But I think it's a very good exercise to kind of see in which kind of areas across the week do you actually, actually spend your time with? And is that the most efficient way of handling it? And you potentially, as an example, you potentially realize that you spend a lot of time on very minimum kind of shallow management topics that actually don't require any deep work or any focus work. And you might see that as a, as a realization to change your potential meeting habits or uh, working habits to kind of have more focus time, more deep work. You potentially need to communicate it with your peers and, and, and employees. And I think his book helps to understand that in a very, very practical way and understand how time tracking can be a good step into working more efficiently and finding more focus time. Um, so I think The Effective Executive is kind of a leading book uh, in regards to those kind of decisions and peter Drucker, of course is a legend um and, and i'm a the big fan only. um yes absolutely so i think that's a book that we haven't mentioned yet and that i would love to to give a hint of yeah he he's great like he i don't even know how many books he wrote but <laughs> definitely a 54 lot. or something i think he crossed the 50 mark if i'm not completely okay mistaken. that's insane yeah i i've read uh, the effective executive i've read a couple of other of his books i like his thinking and yeah, I mean, in the management world, he was one of the original thinkers back in the like 60s, I think. Yeah, 50s, 60s, yeah. I don't know, like very early on. So yeah, a great book, good recommendation. I can't really you? comment That's much more right. just that he's he's really good at what he's what he's doing. Absolutely. Anything on your mind that you uh, you would like to mention in regards to books? Uh, yeah, I, I don't have books, but in return, I give you two blog articles. <laughs> so nice. uh, one. You, you've probably read that, but Mark Andreessen just published a piece on building more stuff. I think it's called yes, Time to Build. I loved it. And yeah, it's insane. I've, I've actually like felt most of the things that he mentioned and his basic premise like for a very long time, but he articulated it so well, in my opinion. I don't, I don't agree with all of the details that he's like planning there, but the, like the premise is just so good and basically to, for everyone who hasn't read it yet which is hopefully like a couple of you because then otherwise my recommendation would be very bad <laughs> it's basically about the fact it's it's referencing the corona epidemic and says it's a shame that we aren't better prepared and he says that one of the reasons for that is that we haven't built enough and mm. i think to some degree that's definitely true but also in the larger sense i think uh, he's referencing we need to be better able to build more things, to progress more quickly, to actually help people to build things that actually matter. And building means everything from better software to better factories to better healthcare, just building things that actually create value. And I think that's a very, very, very good thing to promote. And he did it really well. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved I, it. I couldn't agree more. I, I loved it. I think... Also, the perception that you can be part of, of change when you can build things mm. is great to yeah. know. Yeah, and there's also one thing that we, uh, Max and I held a workshop on new work and new opportunities uh, like a couple of days ago. And basically one thing that 
almost all of it was centered around is just the fact that if you create things and build things, then you will actually proceed much faster than all of your peers who are just passively consuming stuff. Mm. The ability to build and the ability to create things is just one of the best things that you can leverage for your own success, for your own learning, for your own personal growth, and also to have impact on the world. Absolutely. And and creating helps you to kind of understand things better, right? I mean, just by creating a podcast, mm -hmm. for example, we are doing, you kind of understand how audio works better. You understand mm -hmm. how, um, how you potentially, you get better at potentially leading interviews, which helps also if you are in the situation of being interviewed and you see side effects, second order and third order consequences happening by just creating. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's just the first step they need to make in order to learn more in different areas um, that you potentially haven't uh, actually thought about beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the second thing I wanted to mention is a piece that went kind of viral in the VC slash SF like entrepreneurship scene. And it's written by John Lutick. I, I think that's how I pronounce his name. He's a principal at Founders Fund and it's called When Tailwinds Vanish. And basically what he is proposing is that the like current model of venture and startups is kind of growing slower and slower and uh, is talking about the consequences of what that uh, of the consequences this would have on the startup ecosystem and on the business model business models that are pursued right now and he mm -hmm. thinks that it will lead to becoming more of a zero sum game that uh, startups in like the industries that are currently still blooming Uh, will like have more competition. It will be more difficult to actually create like incremental value that that actually makes sense. And uh, it's it's very interesting. And uh, I think it's a great, interesting idea to talk about more. Like the current platforms that we have, is it already like do we have used all of its capacity? Is there a new mm. platform that will come soon? So is biotech new big thing, or is it yeah. something completely else? Or uh, can we still build like really really big companies in the spaces of, of software that's a very like very mm. <laughs> big simplification of what he actually wrote about so read the actual article but um uh, he, he also mentions a couple of other things but that's basically what i was uh, taking away from it and it was it was a really good read so feel free Lovely. to look at it absolutely perfect thanks for sharing yeah And you wanted to talk about a tool, right? Didn't we, like before we started recording, you said that you were using something new. Uh, what was it again? Uh, yes, um, would love to get a first insight. I mean, I will definitely properly, like potentially do a more um, concise analysis um, about the tool. But I think I wanted to give a first insight. I'm, uh, I think potentially a lot of like you as startup founders know Superhuman, which is, I think, mm. also a company founded in, in San Francisco. Um, very, very hyped. Um, in short, it's an email application, kind of like an alternative to Gmail or Microsoft Outlook or whatever you're using. And it's built around speed and shortcuts. Um, so it, like, I think some people even say you're 30% or 50% faster with the email because of shortcuts and the general environment that Superhuman throws you into. Um, kind of being in a very, very focused mode to to kind of like check up your emails and i think there are two things that i want to share i think i've been testing it now for two weeks and i don't want to do a full evaluation yet because i think i would love to have more time to go into their into the into the woods and kind of experience it better but i think there are two things from my experience that i, I loved and the first one is superhuman's customer service is probably 
the best I've ever come across with when it comes to to kind of like very easily set up tools. So there's nothing special. You put you don't need like a customer success team that kind of comes to your office and explains to you how it works. It's just basically all online, all remote. But it's a personal feeling that they give you, which is quite exceptional. You get you get like a 30 minute consultation before you even are allowed to kind of test the product. Um, and the 30 minute consultation is really there's a person from Superhuman which tries to understand what the real need of you actually using Superhuman is, and they kind of give you a very very straight direction and education about how you could use Superhuman in order to make your kind of process with emails more efficient. And they touch where you stand now, and they kind of want to help you to go um, to be faster in the future with Superhuman together. And it's all built around a kind of, I think it's also almost like a VIP feeling that you get when you when, when you kind of use the product. And I'm not sure yet, and that's also what I want to evaluate, whether I like it or not, being kind of like a special community when using an email application. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but I think the, the general feeling of kind of being rewarded when using the product is great. Um, the second thing I wanted to share, which which maybe is interesting for some of the people here also building products, is you see that the whole product or the whole application is built around the idea idea of having a, like a product first ideology. They use shortcuts in order to not let you throw out of the application. They want to keep you in there. They want to make you more efficient. They You can even use like snippets, which is very similar to what Gmail does, but the, the way how, how you could use snippets, which can then be inserted into your email. For example, uh, some people use Salesforce for their kind of CRM and you have a, a very fast shortcut in order to have your, your Salesforce email in BCC um, so that all your emails land in, in the CRM. And the way they do it is quite exceptional because you only use shortcuts in order to move through the emails. Um, they have a very in- intelligent calendar integration, um, which is smart and, and very cool. And, a, uh, and that's something I wanted to share because I think the whole product first ideology is something that lots of startups forget um, and, and they, they make it quite nicely. And and I will think, I will deep dive into a more kind of concrete evaluation in a couple of weeks potentially. But if some people are interested, and that's also my offer, let me know. I would love to refer you guys. You can test it out. Um, it's quite expensive for an email application. I think it's 30 bucks a month. But I think for testing it and for understanding how a product first ideology works, this is very helpful. And um, happy to refer people. Um, just write me an email or on LinkedIn or whatever. And, and I'm happy to help. Yeah, superhuman, uh, great product. I was I was using it for quite some time in 2018 um, nice. because back then I was still using a Mac and it was great. Like I, I love the experience you have when they onboard you. And I think I was actually onboarded by the cousin of the founder or something like that, or some some relative, I think. Crazy. <laughs> and it was it was really cool. I love the like attention to detail. I love their command line. That you can just uh, use a command line similar to uh, what you have in your in your terminal. That's really cool. It's just great, um, and I love the shortcuts and everything. But then I switched back to Windows, and they, back then, is it possible to use it on Windows right now? I don't even know. Um, I'm sure it but is, back yeah. then, it didn't work, so I just it is. I think so. I, I would need to double check again, but I think it is. Okay, and then I, I might take another look at it, but. Um, yeah, back then I also had like, uh, I had like a very specific way of structuring my emails. And back then it wasn't possible with Superhuman, mm. which was the second reason why I actually quit using it. But it's a great feeling. And if you think about it, 30 bucks a month sounds like a lot of money. But if you look at how much time you're actually spending in your emails, and if they cut down that time, that's probably like part of their pitch also, or of their early pitch right now, they don't need to pitch it because they just have like, huge traction numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but if you just cut down like 10% of the 
of your email time and you like spend a couple of hours usually on emails, which is mm. true for many executives, yeah. then that really adds up over time. And I think I find it crazy. I mean, right now Rahul is going the like full round. There's so like he appears on many stages and talks in podcasts, etc. And he's really adored for his way of scaling. And I think for a good reason. Because yeah. having invite only still at their stage is insane. And having a personal onboarding call with every user is also insane, but yeah. apparently it's paying off. And it's, uh, it's actually the first company start uh, using superhuman for ha 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 as a tagline, which is usually a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> which uh, yeah. which is a topic that we covered last episode how taglines kind of change when mm. when companies get to scale more probably a topic yeah. that we could also deep dive on but there I was think... the uber for everything a couple of years ago <laughs> right 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 or the <laughs> that's true the facebook or the twitter or the the mm. uber for everything yeah yeah, I love that. No, I think that's that's just my tool of tool of the day, kind of that I wanted to cover, and also wanted to offer the opportunity for for the listeners in case they want to test it. Just reach out. I'm happy to refer. Then they're gonna have more consultation interviews. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I think it's a good opportunity. Um, no, that's everything from my side. Anything from your side, still, Mike? Yeah, I want to close it off with a quote. I think that's that's something we. Uh, I don't know in which order we will upload the episode. So I, I, maybe I've actually mentioned it by now, or I haven't mentioned, but I think. Closing it off with, uh, with a quote is great. And today I will keep it short. I'll just say, it's time to build Mark Andreessen.